All right. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, can we jump to Matthew chapter 19 just as a starting point? And then we want to spend a good bit of our time in 1 Corinthians 7. So we'll start with Matthew chapter 19. And as I'm sure you know by now, we've been talking a lot about the biblical perspectives on uh, gender, man is male and female. We've covered Genesis 1 through 3, we've covered Romans 5, we've talked about 1 Timothy and Titus and other passages that are relevant to this conversation. Today we are addressing the gift of singleness. And while we have mentioned it probably many times over the years at our church, I don't know that we've spent an extended period of time on the gift of singleness. And so today's conversation, today's teaching will be kind of two areas of application. So we want to spend some of this time talking about the official gift of celibacy, the gift of singleness, which is a lifelong gift of singleness. And we want to talk about what that means, what that is biblically. And then secondarily, we will make application that will largely apply to everybody at any moment that they are single in their life. Okay, does that make sense? So there's the gift of lifelong singleness, which is a minority of Christians have. And then there's the more general what do I do? How do I not waste my singleness when whatever age you may be, if you are single and you would still like to be married one day, how do I not waste that time of singleness in the middle? And so those will be kind of the main areas where we'll be hitting on today. Jerry, could you pray for us? And then we will jump in. Yes, sir. Love to. Gracious Father, what a uh, great joy it is to be able to um, come before you and uh, cast our cares on you and to look for your wisdom. We thank you for this fantastic passage. I pray, Lord, that as we um, uh, seek you, as we come to understand um, your word in a greater way, that you would help us to, uh, to not only um, be engaged with it, but then to be able to apply it to our lives. So thank you, Father, for uh, giving us your grace. Thank you for giving us your wisdom. And we look uh, to you today and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Matthew 19. And this is more a conversation about marriage and divorce, but we're not going to focus on that today. Jesus essentially says uh, that there, he gives massive restrictions on what he allows for divorce. He says in verse um, 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So that would be a more restrictive view than a lot of people had at the time. Verse 10, the disciples are somewhat shocked, and they say to Jesus, if such is the case of a man with his wife it is better not to marry. Now, you notice there's a bit of kind of over-the-top sarcasm. They're saying, wait, you mean the only legitimate grounds for divorce right now we're talking about is, is adultery or sexual morality? Well, then it's better not to get married because I don't want to be trapped in a marriage where I'm not really enjoying myself or something. And they say, it's better not to marry. And then Jesus takes their statement. He knows that they're being a little bit sarcastic, but he takes it seriously. And he says, well, actually, for some people, it is better not to marry. Verse 11, but Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying that it's better not to marry, but only those to whom it is given. That's the gift of singleness. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So real quick, some people are born in a way where they're not able to have children and they may never marry. Other people, like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, chose by the hands of men to become a physical eunuch for the sake of working in a royal harem. But then Jesus says there's also a kind of spiritual eunuch, someone who chooses celibacy uh, out of God's calling on their life and God's gifting in their life. They choose it for the sake of 
the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, for those who can receive that saying, they should receive it. And, and again, he's speaking there to a, to a relatively small group of Christians. Some thoughts on that passage. You know, I want to be very sensitive about this issue. Uh, you guys that are single out there, you may say, well, look, look, there's four guys up there that are, that are married talking about singleness. What are they? they don't even remember singleness, maybe. But uh, so I want to, I want to honor that. I want to. Uh, this is a sensitive subject. But it's like as Mark pointed out, the, for the gift of singleness that he refers to, Jesus refers to here, is uh, for only to those who is given. I would say it would probably be the minority, uh, simply because from the beginning in Genesis, we're supposed to be, we're called man and woman to be married. Be fruitful, multiply. You can't do that unless you're married. And he mentions in Genesis 2 about marriage, leaving your father and your mother. So that is the, that is the pattern. Um, now, the, this unique thing, I mean, that, that's, those are kind of tough words, but uh, we, don't, we don't refer to eunuchs so much today. But, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very difficult passage. Uh, and, and for those that are called to singleness, the gift of singleness, uh, you know, that's a, that's a, may I, may I just jump in and read something? Yep. It's a little long, but I, this, this is so profound. Margaret Clarkson, um, uh, a woman that just died in 2008 at 93, wrote 17 books and six hymns. Um, and I'm, I'm, I may not read all this. Her personal statement of submission rings with the strength that comes from bowing before the sovereignty of God, she says. Through no fault or choice of my own, I'm unable to express my sexuality in the beauty and intimacy of Christian marriage as God intended when he created me as a sexual being in his own image. To seek to do this outside of marriage is by the clear teaching of Scripture to sin against God and, and against my own nature. As a committed Christian, then I have no alternative but to live a life of voluntary celibacy. I must be chaste, not only in body, but in my mind and spirit as well. Since I'm now in my 60s, I think that my experience of what this means is valid. I want to go on record as having proved that for those who have committed to do God's will, his commands are his enabling. That's pretty powerful. And she closes, why must I live my life alone? I do not know. But Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I accept my singleness from his hand. He could have ordered my life otherwise, but he has not chosen to do so, as his child must trust in his love and wisdom. Pretty powerful statement. Yeah, I think Proverbs 18.22 says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord. I know all four of us would say that. Everybody that's uh, married and loves the Lord would, would say that. But certainly, for those who he has given this gift to, uh, they have found a good thing in singleness. And God would give them the same sort of grace. God's grace is sufficient for, uh, for that group as well. And, uh, but I like your point there, Papa, that um, for the most part, he desires us to be married except for that, that small group.
Yeah, I man, I would just say that uh, some people are given the gift of singleness, and we shouldn't look down on somebody just because they're single. God maybe has called them to a life of singleness, somebody like John Stott. And you think of all that they could do for the kingdom, with, and we can get into this verse Corinthians 7. Like, John Stott was able to do far more, I think, because he wasn't married, but he did have a gift. Uh, so some people are going to be called uh, to a life of singleness, and we shouldn't look down on them because... God has called them to. Yes, 13 of the 27 books of your New Testament were written by a single man, a man with the gift of singleness. So, (laughs) to act like this is a second-class gift, I mean, the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian who ever lived, was a celibate man, his his life, at least as a Christian. He may have perhaps been married younger as a Pharisee. We don't know uh, the details of that, but as an adult Christian man, if his wife had died, we don't know if he was ever married. He was not married as a Christian. And so, he lived his adult life as a celibate man and uh, did more for the kingdom than you can pretty much imagine with the 30-plus years he had as a Christian. So, let, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 to your right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we will not even begin to cover all 40 verses of this chapter. Um, I think maybe a year and a half ago, we may have walked through it on a, on a Tuesday night somewhere along the way that you could go back and refer to. We're not going to look at all this chapter because there's a lot going on here, but we will look at some of it uh, as we go. 1 Corinthians 7, Uh, Let's start with uh, verse 1, and Paul's responding here to a quotation from the Corinthians, very likely. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 7, now concerning the matters about which you wrote, the Corinthians had said, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of sexual, uh, because of temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her husband. And then skip down to verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and another of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And if you skip down to verse 17, Scott, can you read 17 through 24? Sure. Verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who has called who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Jerry, can you read 25 to 31? And now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one by whom the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view... Of this present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if if, if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I will spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, Let those who have wives live as though they have none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, but those who buy as though they have no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of the world 
is passing away. So, Jerry, it seems here that Paul is taking all the enjoyments and, and even troubles of this world and, and putting them in light of eternity. He's putting them next to the world that's not going to pass away with the world that is passing away. What are some things we can even learn here in relationship to marriage and all these issues comparing these things to eternity? Yeah. No, I, I, I love it. He's, he goes on to talk about being uh, anxious that um, there's plenty of anxiety as a single man or woman, and there is a different kind of anxiety that comes um, with being married. But uh, I love the way he says, uh, at the appointed time has grown very short. Night 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live with those they have none. So the, I think the idea is to be, as a single person, to be urgent to live a life worthy of the gospel to see every day that, man, the time is short. And it might be short as uh, uh, your time as being single, or it might be short on your, your life here uh, overall. But to, you know, to aggressively pursue Christ when you're single or when you're married, um, either way. And both of them, what I find is great from this passage and from all of Scripture, is both are very sanctifying. He's going to go on to say, being married has, and those of you that are married know that it's a very sanctifying experience. And, uh, and I find it, as, and I think most of us would say, one of the most sanctifying experiences. I love Amy for a hundred reasons, but one of them is that God use, uses her and has used her as a primary means of my sanctification, uh, just to be selfish about it. And so he is also going to uh, sanctify the single person. Um, and I think that's what being single should be focused on is to say, hey, I really want to grow in sanctification before I'm married because I'm going to be a much better wife or husband. That's what they can focus on is to say, not, wow, I hope my, my mate, that my future mate's being sanctified. That's a good thing. But probably 80% of our concern when we're single is to say, how am I growing? Am I really using, time short here, am I really growing so that I'll be a godly wife or husband whenever God calls me to that, if he does? Yeah, so on, on that point, that's, that's really helpful. When, when he says, those who have wives should live as though they had none, mourning, act as if they're not mourning, rejoicing as if not rejoicing, buying the world's goods as if they had no goods, he doesn't mean that you don't love and care for your wife or your spouse. He means, in light of eternity, we should not make the things of this world ultimate things in our life. The, the world makes the marriage relationship oftentimes an ultimate value where you're trying to find your ultimate fulfillment, your ultimate happiness, your ultimate security in that marriage partner. That, that's where the ultimate place is to have those things, or the world's goods, you know, the latest iPhone, the latest gadget, the latest technology. There are many people who treat those with a kind of religious devotion. You've got to have the latest, the best, the newest, the, the most expensive, and the, you know, the biggest and the brightest and the best, and that can have a kind of the world is all there is mentality. And Paul is trying to reframe our priorities. He's not saying you ignore your spouse or you don't worry about the world's goods at all. You have to care and love and, and interact. But he's saying in light of eternity and that the fact that this present age is passing away, that should reframe how we calibrate, how, how we navigate this world. It, it, should, it should have an impact on how we deal with material goods and also how we even prioritize and think about uh, marriage. It is not ultimate. The ultimate marriage, every Christian is in on because it's Christ and the church. 
So a person who lives 80 years as a single Christian is going to have eternity in the ultimate marriage with Jesus. The, the only marriage that really matters, every Christian is going to have a part of for all of eternity. And the marriages of this life are temporary and they are wonderful and they are good, but they're also fleeting. And so let's be careful how we prioritize these things even in our own lives. I like what you just got through saying because uh, Piper's number one point in this uh, biblical manhood book, womanhood, is that marriage as we know it in this age, is not the final destiny of any of us. I mean, we're going to be single for all eternity. So marriage is just a little snippet, uh, whether it be, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. My parents were married right at six, right, a couple months short of 60 years. And, but they're going to be together for all eternity. It transcends that, those momentary light afflictions. Yes, in this light. Yeah, uh, Tom Schreiner said, the hour before the end is brief and believers should constantly live in light of the end. Everything in life must be recalibrated and considered in the light of the imminence of the end. And I know we're going to probably get into this more about not wasting your singleness, but I would come back to the fact that time, time is precious. Like time is, is, an, is a gift from God. Uh, I could talk about singles who are going to have more time on their hands right now, which we can get into that. But time is so precious. I wish that we could see how precious time is. It is a gift. Why, why is time precious? I've talked about this before. Number one, time is short. Time is so short. Uh, I saw this video on Twitter. It was from 1901. They had colorized this video. It's amazing. It's like from Britain or London. It's got these kids walking past the camera. There's horse and buggy. It's amazing. And I'm looking at that video from 1901, and I thought, nobody in that video is alive today. None of the people in that video are alive today. And that's just a snap of your fingers. It's 120 years ago. So, Time is so short, it is so precious, flying by. Number two, I would say uh, time cannot be recovered. You can't go back and relive yesterday. Once you waste time yesterday, you cannot recover time, so you can't recover it. Number three, I'd say the ripple effect of how we use our time. So if you're single and you're wasting away your time, it's not just going to impact you, it will, but it's going to impact your future spouse. Like, it's going to have a negative impact on your future spouse. Francis Schaeffer said, the effects of our choices are real. Each choice we make as a Christian and as a human being has a reality in history and it affects all those about us. So we should see time as precious, and ultimately we should live in light of the gospel. Since we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, we should now want to redeem the time for him. When it comes to singleness, Paul was a single man, but he had more children than any married person I've ever known. Paul says to the Corinthians, I am your father in the Lord. Who brought them to faith? Who, who saw them not born, but born again? The Apostle Paul led them into the world as a, as a new believer, and so Paul can speak of being the father. Timothy was his son, his child in the faith. Paul was not the biological father of Timothy. He had an unbelieving father, but Paul was the spiritual father of Timothy. He was the one that was a, was a dad to Timothy. So Paul speaks of, you know, we, we, in this life, we, we give up many things for the Lord, but we receive back in this life mothers and fathers and sisters and siblings in the church and in the age to come, eternal life. In the church, single people have a new family with mothers and fathers, and they have a whole family in Christ that is now accessible to them. So, in a sense, the, the family, Jesus, you know, people will come up to Jesus and say, your mother is here. Or, or one woman said in the crowd, blessed is the womb that bore you uh, to Jesus about Mary. And Jesus says, blessed rather is the one who hears the word of God and obeys it. So, Jesus keeps taking the spiritual family and putting it over the biological family. He even says, I came not to bring peace, 
but a sword to divide families over me. So some people in the family will go with Christ and some will reject Christ and there will be a split down the middle of some family. So Jesus takes the family of the church and prioritizes it over the, the biological family, which was quite shocking to say really at any time in history, but especially when he said that. Elizabeth Elliot has a similar quote. Um, she says, how many single women enter into the meaning of motherhood if she can have no children? She answers, she can have children, just what you said. She may be a spiritual mother, as was Amy Carmichael, by the very offering of her singleness, transform for the good of far more children than a natural mother can ever produce, just like you said about Paul. All is received and made holy by the one to whom it is offered. Yes. So look with us back at 1 Corinthians 7, and this is just a fantastic paragraph on this topic, verses 32 to 35. Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So, Jerry, what, what does that mean exactly for us today? Yeah, I do think that um, I love that he wants us to be free from anxiety. That sure goes with a lot of other things that uh, Paul wrote. And Jesus, remember in uh, Matthew 6 where Jesus tells us to be, um, to not worry three times in, uh, wow, maybe 15 verses. And, you know, cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing um, but everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And then God will give us the peace that surpasses all understanding. So um, I believe that he's saying with marriage, there's going to be a whole new um, sort of anxieties that, that come with it. Just because... Things, Mark, I've heard you say this, that uh, a good bit of your time in conversation with Kelly is trying to figure out where everybody's going to be and what, how this is all going to work and just the daily grind. That, um, that probably wasn't as big of a deal when we were single. We had more time on our hands. We had more um, uh, kind of freedom to sort of go do what we wanted to do. And then uh, the anxieties that come with marriage, very sanctifying. We need to um, take full advantage of, of all of those. But while you're single and you don't have those anxieties, Scott made a great point. Use that time wisely. And, uh, and when we look back on our single days, we say, well, there was more time. There, were more, there was more time to uh, uh, grow in some ways than there is when you're married. Yeah, and you, you can see uh, Paul could not have loved his wife and children well if he had them and lived the life that he lived in the New Testament at the same time. He would have either been a poor husband and father and a great missionary... Or he would have been, you know, the, the opposite of that. So, Paul, if he, imagine Paul. Imagine he's your dad. You've got a, a bunch of little kids and the wife, and one of the kids is sick, and the wife is exhausted, and they're trying. And so, where's Paul? Paul's in prison again tonight. That's wonderful, getting beaten. He's in the stocks tonight in Philippi, 300 miles away. This is not good. You can imagine, how would he love his wife? How would he love his children? So, Paul had the, the, the advantage of singleness is your freedom. 
The advantage of marriage is investing in these long-term relationships that are close to you. So marriage is more like planting an, an acorn and watching an oak tree grow over the next 30 years, right? That, that's, having a child is planting a seed and watering it and investing an extraordinary amount of time in a very small number of individuals and watching the Lord grow them to maturity over the decades. And that is absolutely a worthy cause. It is worth three decades, four decades of lots of time and prayer and tears. That is worth it. But there's another kind of advantage to singleness, which is the complete freedom that Paul had. Paul could just say, I'm getting on this boat. I don't know if I'm going to be shipwrecked or not, but I'm heading towards Rome or I'm heading towards wherever I'm going, the Aegean Sea, and we're going to see if we can plant a church in, in Ephesus, say. And if I get beat up in a riot and I get nearly killed in the Col in that Colosseum in their amphitheater, well, so be it. May the Lord be praised. But if he has a wife and children, it takes, it, it's a different kind of thing for him to talk that way. And again, I don't like to beat up on my historical heroes, but if if I could beat up on one, and I, who am I to, to criticize George Whitfield? But George Whitfield, for all of his tremendous virtues as a tireless preacher who literally changed early American colonial life and European life for a century and more, and is a wonderful Christian in history, George Whitfield ended up marrying a woman who he then basically never saw while he just went preaching everywhere for the next number of years, had a terrible marriage to his wife. And I think he failed, if I can say this, to love his wife well. He, he basically left her alone while he went off preaching for decades and died preaching in his 50s. But you, you look back and say, he shouldn't have gotten married. George Whitfield should not have got, or if he should have gotten married, he should not have kept preaching through the colonies like he did. He should have chosen one or the other. He tried to do both, and I think it was a failure in his marriage. And you, I think John Wesley, a similar story where he didn't have a great marriage, partly because of similar reasons. So th there is a freedom advantage with singleness, and there is a commitment long-term relationship advantage with marriage. Marriage, you're less likely to struggle with feelings of perhaps loneliness that you might have in a single life, but a single life has a certain kind of exhilaration and freedom and ability that a married life simply lacks. And so, whichever stage you're in right now, uh, think about how you can use that to the maximum to honor the Lord with exactly where He's called you. And if marriage is in your future as a single person, wonderful, move towards that, but don't waste these years and these months now that you're still, some of, you, some of us still in a state of singleness. We're blessed in that we've got many of you in this room have been on mission trips, um, you know, just since North Avenue started and five years ago. And you wouldn't have had the freedom probably to do some of that if if you'd have been married. And many missionaries had that same, enjoyed that same freedom. Um, they were able to go and do, uh, did, to incur risk that they wouldn't be able to do. Well, I even use, use Paul as an example. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I don't have time to be stoned. I got to run home, change diapers. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But uh, so you got a lot more freedom. You, you can go. You can raise your hand. I will go. And I'll take those risks. Uh, now, there is a loneliness. I, I called uh, John Barnett because both of his, a uh, friend of mine from Watkinsville, because both of his kids are headed uh, into the, uh, back into the mission field. And I asked him about the pros and cons of being married and being single. He said, well, where they go there before, though, when they were in, I won't say, they were very isolated. So being married really was you know, a, a great support system to have. Uh, where they're going now, they're going more with a team, so they'll have, um, they'll have some help, they'll have some friends, people I actually know and speak English and are believers. But, um, so he said, you know, it's, it's probably both and. Probably depends on your personality and God's calling on your life. If you, if you are an independent sort and, and you know, have a good team, 
uh, I mean, but, but, you know, there's a quote here from, um, from uh, Rena Taylor. Being single has meant that I'm free to take risks that I might not be able to wear a mother or a family dependent on me. Being single has given me the freedom to move around the world without having to pack up a household first. And this freedom has brought me to moments that I would not trade for anything else this side of eternity. So there's, there's pluses and minuses to that, that singleness. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys a question here. Uh, t- t- thinking about the singleness aspect and some people who are single now to use that time well, I, I want to add, like, sort of, Jerry, you talked to Mark about this when he was single, sort of kind of you could reenact some of that and what you told him and how that went. But also, <laughs> also, uh, I mean, you had to slap him around a little bit maybe to use his time well. But Fred also slapped me around a little bit. It yeah. was good. It was good for me. Well, we, they can both get involved on this. But also <laughs> maybe get specific on specific things they could be doing. I was thinking, Mark, when you went to Tekoa, your friend Jeremiah, who kind of rebuked you, took, you could maybe talk about that too. But maybe, Jerry, start with you. Maybe how, what did you tell Mark? I think a lot of this involves me getting rebuked, but that's, that's something good. I don't remember telling Mark anything. I, I think Mark might have eaten some bad eat, meat. That is not correct. It was more encouragement. It was more of an encouragement. Well, I, I really think the, the one thing that comes to mind is to say, no matter if you're married or you're single, right now it's perfect. This is where God has put you. So let's count on his sovereignty that if you're single right now, that is absolutely what you ought to be. And if you're married right now, that is absolutely the way you ought to be. So then you can put the accelerator full speed to say, I'm going to be sanctified as a married person or as a single person, but that needs to be my number one priority. And that's what I don't have much time with uh, either way. I have got to see that uh, the time is short. And uh, the night, the Romans 13, the night's almost over, the day is almost here. And, uh, and so we put away those deeds of darkness, anything that's hindering us, and we, we keep our eyes uh, fixed on Jesus. And you just say, it must be advantageous to be single if that's where you are, because that's where God has me. Well, okay, good deal. I'm going to grow in that way. And so not to always, I think both can happen. If uh, when marriage is tough, and it isn't sometimes, that somebody can say, oh man, I wish I was single. Don't. That's not, that's not helpful to wish that we were the, what, we, what we weren't. But to be content in either circumstance and to say, this is going to be good for me. This is sanctifying. And, uh, and I want to grow from that. And so um, I don't remember what we told you, Mark, but I'm glad you listened to Papa. <laughs> <laughs> let, let, me, let me just mention this along these same notes. So there are completely legitimate reasons to, uh, okay, let, let me try to distinguish something. There, there, is, there is someone who is single making the best of what they have and using it for God's glory, but who also desires marriage. That's completely legitimate and, and, and also wants to make steps toward being married. Completely le- legitimate. There's another group of someone who is, mar- who is single and wants to stay single for the rest of their life. Okay, those are two different groups. And um, I would say there are illegitimate reasons and legitimate reasons to want to stay single through adulthood. Legitimate and illegitimate reasons to want to stay single through adulthood. Let me, let me just mention, and we don't have time to turn there. This is a complicated passage. I don't want to try to explain it because it would take too long. But in 1 Timothy 5, Paul's talking about single, uh, he's talking about widows in particular, who, women who've lost their husbands. And he says, there's a kind of widow who should, who should um, they, need to get, they need to get their life together. And he says this, they, they learn to be idlers, 
going about from house to house, not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not say. So I would have the younger widows to marry, bear children and manage their homes, that the word of God would not be slandered. So do you, do you see there, if, if singleness is being used towards laziness, if it's just, okay, I'm going to work kind of like the minimum job necessary to pay my bills. I'm going to have 18 people in a single apartment, so my, fi- my monthly bill is $33.32 each month. I'm going I'm to work minimally. I'm going to play video games like five hours a day. I'm going to watch Netflix shows all night. I'm going to kind of barely keep my life together. If that's why you want to stay single, that is an illegitimate reason to stay single. You, that should not be the goal, to, to be lazy. Paul says, if you're just kind of an idler going about gossiping, slandering, you know, mulling around, that's not a legitimate calling on singleness. It's not an excuse for laziness. He says, no, 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 no. If you want to be like a single person like Paul, he is all out living for the gospel. He's meeting with people. He's evangelizing people. He's discipling people. He's pouring his life out for the good of others, living in a way that only makes sense in light of the resurrection from the dead. But the other, the other uh, reason, uh, so a good reason to also seek marriage, one would be if there's just a lot of laziness and you don't know what to do, then marriage will put a kind of responsibility that you can't avoid on you, and children especially, where you are forced to get your act together and to not be lazy. You cannot survive and be lazy and have children, uh, young children. It's just not possible. So, the other thing that Paul mentions is sexual immorality, which he mentions more than once in this chapter. It is better to marry than to burn with passion. I won't make this sound embarrassing to talk about, but just seriously, uh, sincerely, if you are content in your singleness, if you say, I don't long for marriage, I don't struggle particularly with sexual immorality or lust, it's not really a prevailing sin in my life, it's not really a big thing in my life, I feel relatively content. I mean, yes, there may be moments of struggle but with loneliness or whatever, but if you're, if you're generally content in singleness and you don't struggle r- regularly with sexual morality or lust temptations, then that is a good indication the Lord may be calling you to si- the single lifestyle. That, that is a very strong indication. If lust is a regular uh, struggle in your life, you don't have the gift of singleness, male or female. If it is better to marry than to burn with passion. If you have a regular struggle with lust or you just long for marriage, you just greatly desire to be in a marital relationship, that is an indication that you do not have that gift of celibacy or singleness, and therefore, uh, at the appropriate time and age in life, you should begin to make steps to move in the direction of marriage. You can't control when you get married, right? Some of you may say, well, I want to get married, but things have not worked out yet. Okay, I understand that. I, I totally understand that. I'm not addressing that point. But, but it's one thing to say... Uh, I'm refusing this. It's another thing to say, I'm making steps to move in that direction at the right time and in God's timing in my my life. Yeah, I I could say, uh, again, I'm thinking about a single person, like specific things that they should do uh, like you're talking about the video games and all that. Well, you got to make war on that stuff. You got to cut that. Got to cut that stuff out. Not wasting that time and and redeeming it. But one of the things I thought, if you're a guy and you're struggling with, like you're burning with passion. Well, God's called you to marry. Therefore, God's going to call you to to lead your wife in the Word, to wash her in the water of the Word. Well, you got to get to know the Bible now. Like you've got to spend time in the Word now if you're going to get ready to, to read in the Word. So see the Bible as the greatest earthly treasure that you have right now. Invest in the Word of God. Cut out some of the extra stuff and invest in the Word of God because God's calling you to lead in the future. And something else I was thinking was the community aspect, which is what Jeremiah was rebuking you for, was get involved in community. I saw this quote online this week. It said, sin demands to have a man alone. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a man is, the more destructive sin is. Just the community of other believers is so essential for us to be around other Christians. We are going to be warmed and strengthened. So invest in the community that you're in. If you are a single man or a woman, you've got to invest with other believers. And maybe you can mention or mention that in a moment about what Jeremiah told you on that, but Fred. Something you just said that uh, prompted me to think, yes, if you're not called to singleness, which is, I think, most people, uh, 
then you need to, you can, there's ways that you can prepare for marriage, mm -hmm. and that's what you said. Uh, you can, can be pursuing Christ with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul, so that when and if that time comes, you will know what, to look, what and who to look for in a potential spouse. Because you certainly don't want to marry someone. Lottie Moon um, was going to marry somebody and found out he was a, um, a follower of... Um, um, Unitarianism? Excuse it me? It wasn't Unitarian, was it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, or, um, but, so she just said, no, we're, we're just, I don't want to be unequally yoked. So she just made that decision. And that was just black and white for her because her walk was so strong with the Lord that, that she knew. So use the time that you have this, and you got more as a single person today, unless you're working a 60 or 70 hour a week, you have more freedom now than you'll ever have in your life. Uh, and I, I say this to college students all the time, and they look at me like I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, and if you're a single man, I would say attack, and you guys have said it, attack two areas. Attack with all you have the laziness and the arrogance and that is a full-scale war on those until we until we go to heaven as men but um neither of those are going to be very uh handy in marriage so the arrogance to be we're just selfish and and to really start saying i'm going to invest in other people because someday that's going to be the main thing that you do with your wife or, or with your kids and then laziness that doesn't work well in marriage either so uh, go after those things and, and other things that are not productive to, to do that. So I think those are two huge sins that men are prevalent in men, especially that we need to uh, attack and grow in sanctification even before we're married. Because it certainly is going to be the case that we will be sanctified highly in those two areas once we are. Mark, that was um, uh, the... Body Moon example was a Darwinian. He was an advocate of evolution, and so that was incompatible with, with her uh, beliefs and so. Look with me here at chapter 7, uh, reading to the end of the chapter, verse 36. I know this is a debatable passage, different translations. Sometimes they think it's referring to the father to his virgin daughter. Other people think it's a, uh, a fiancé to his female fiancé. Uh, that's the view I favor, but verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, uh, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So here again, when it comes to marriage, or in this case, marriage after a death of a spouse, here, here, here are the two parameters. Number one, you marry who you wish. Number two, they're in the Lord. They're a believer. So the wish means it should be flavored with biblical wisdom, who you marry. Just because someone's a believer doesn't automatically mean that's the best choice for you. There, there might be, you know, secondary issues of different disagreement and other issues that you need to think about. But whoever you wish, you can marry if they are in the Lord. And uh, that, that's true for either a single person or someone who's been widowed uh, after that. 
But 36 to 38 is, is along the same themes. That if someone is able to maintain purity and they feel content remaining single, they can remain single. They don't have to marry. But if they are, uh, if they are struggling with their passions, then they should marry and uh, they have not sinned. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, Paul says in 1, Corinthians 4, 1 Timothy 4 that it's a demonic teaching that, you, that people teach against marriage. There were people teaching that it's a sin to get married. Uh, and Paul actually calls that the teaching of demons in 1 Corinthians 4, so 1 Timothy 4. So Paul is not at all opposed to marriage, although he is making a case for singleness at points in this chapter. You're correct, uh, but, he is, but he is supportive of marriage, obviously. And, and, and but see, it was a misunderstanding of Paul that led to monasticism. It was uh, celibacy and monasticism, because some of it was persecution in the second through the fourth centuries and the... And the the monks in the desert in Egypt in that time, Athanasius and so, but uh, again, they were they were reading Paul literally that it's better to be single, and that's a, a, a another form of a godliness. Well, the Essenes did it too. John the Baptist and his crowd. Now they were not necessarily celibate, but they were they withdrew from the crowd in Jerusalem to go live in the desert. Yeah, just real quick on that. So the phrase, it's better to marry in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul actually uses it, better to remain single, better to marry. Paul uses this phrase in both directions. Have you noticed this? So he says, if someone has the gift of singleness, it's better for them to remain single, as I am. But he also says it's better to marry than to burn. So do you, you see, so Paul has, if you don't have the gift of singleness, it is better for you to marry. He says that in verse 9. And if you have the gift of singleness, it's better to remain single. So he's not just saying it's better to do one or the other. He, he's saying depending on your wiring and God's gifting in your life, it's better to do one or the other. And, and so that's, I think sometimes that part of that gets left out in the conversation. Mm -hmm. So what, what are some last, we got just a couple minutes left. Some last thoughts on how to uh, redeem singleness, use it well, not feel like we, we, we are in any way wasting that, that time. Yeah, to me, overall, if you listen, look at the whole thing, there's two things that have become increasingly, I don't know, in the last year probably important in my thinking. And I should have, you know, wished it was 55 years ago, was number one, God's sovereign. God is uh, in control. God, it's his providence that's going to win the day. No plan of his will be thwarted. Um, and if you're single right now, Trust him. Trust him that God will bring about the perfect wife or husband just in the perfect timing, just as he sees fit. So really concentrate on the process. The end result's taken care of. Concentrate on the process. The process is what's important. The process is what's sanctifying. God's got that last part taken care of. And so um, enjoy this time. Um, grow in this time. And then Let's just all admit that we are more sinful than what we realize. And so, whether married or single, uh, to say, there's a lot that God's doing in me that I need Him to do. And so, not to feel to say, okay, I think now I've arrived where I'm, I'm pretty godly and I'm really getting ready to get married. Because <laughs> once marriage starts, I think we'll realize, no, there's a lot of sanctification to to go. Yes, with singleness, I guess you could say 
um, w- one of the ways in which you will be sanctified, and we're all sanctified in those years, is, is that having to rely on the Lord. If, if you want to get married and you're not there yet, and that, that pain and difficulty of, of that time, which for me, it, it always it feels like a long time when you're in it. And so, relying on the Lord and getting the Lord to bring satisfaction and contentment when, when those years are, feel long, that is a way you grow in sanctification as a single person who's not gifted with the singleness. And someone who's married, the way we grow is obviously dealing with lack of patience or losing my temper with my kids or whatever it may be. Growing, God chiseling and working through my idols and my, my issues there with impatience and with lack of love, He, he will work that through you in the, in the days of marriage. So there is plenty of sanctification to be had on either side of the marriage uh, line. Yeah. Quick, just, oh, sorry. Fred. No, no. I, I just think that North Avenue, I, I feel like, is, is, is your home. And, and, and this is your family. And, and until you, if you're single, until you find uh, a spouse, uh, let us be a resource, a source for uh, life and godliness and, and study. And, and let's provoke one another and help one another and encourage one another. But that's what the church is, is for. Yeah. Quick, quick quote from Matthew Henry. He said, uh, Whatever you do, take heed of idleness is what you guys are talking about. That is the devil's anvil on which he hammers out many temptations. So if you're a single and you have extra time, watch out for sort of lazy Saturday afternoons with nothing to do, no direction. It's almost for sure that you're going to give in to, you're going to waste time and you may even sin in that. So have direction. Last thing I would say is if you're single, get the gospel, get it central. Just love to marinate on the gospel. Swim out into the sea of God's grace it is so good for you to get the gospel down in your soul. I mean, Dad just sent me the song. He told me to listen to the song a while back. I listened to it this morning. It was just filled with gospel. And it's just like a stick of dynamite in the soul. And just the affections just rise up as you think again about the sufferings of Christ and everything that he endured. Just get the gospel down. Don't waste time uh, and watch out for idleness, but get the gospel in the, in your, in the center of your life. And with the gospel, there is no more dignified thing God could have done about the gift of singleness than to send his son into the world to live a life as a celibate man. Jesus never married in his earthly life. Uh, he never had sexual relationships. He was celibate, pure from birth until his death on the cross and his resurrection, and he was the most fully human individual who ever lived. So there is no higher thing that could have been said by God about singleness than that he himself would become a single man, live as an adult single man, which would have been odd in his society. For him to have been in his early 30s and to be unmarried would have been strange in first century Jerusalem. It would have been strange. You can almost imagine people saying, when, when's Jesus going to get married, you know, around there? Like, when, the wedding feast of Cana, like Jesus, uh, you know, so th- th- Jesus was a, was a single man all through his life and gave full dignity to that uh, calling on, on the life. And so there, there is no greater thing you can say than that God incarnate lived as a single man throughout his entire life. Of course, in the wedding supper of the Lamb, the true marriage will take place between him and the church. But in his earthly life, uh, he was single uh, all the way through. Can you pray for us, Jerry? Yep. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for our wives and our husbands, uh, for those of us that uh, you have. Um, our wives are a good thing. Receive favor from the Lord uh, through them. And uh, Lord, for those who are single, I pray that you would give them tremendous grace. Be content. Um, in that, continue to grow in that, and uh, be prepared uh, for the one day, if that's your desire, um, to give them a, a wife or husband where the sanctification will continue. So, Lord, I pray uh, either way, for those married and for um, those unmarried, uh, that um, you would sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth, and help us to bathe um, in the gospel and in your word for your glory. And uh, we're grateful for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. So next week, Lord willing, we will talk more about a biblical perspective on dating and engagement. You say dating is not in the Bible. I know it is not, but we will we'll try to put some biblical wisdom around the topic of dating and engagement is in Scripture, and we will talk more about that again next Sunday, Lord willing. And uh, thank you all for being here.